Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. So as we pick it up in chapter 23, that's what we're coming into. It's about 1000 BC and that great king, the second king of Israel, the man with the heart after God is doing certain things before he steps into eternity and they're worth noting. So we just got a few verses tonight, but we will connect it with other passages as well. So verse one of chapter 23, first Chronicles reads like this. So when David was old and full of days, He made his son Solomon king over Israel, and he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above, and the number of individual males was 38,000. Of these, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord, 6,000 were officers and judges, 4,000 were gatekeepers, 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, said David, for giving praise. Most of what comes after this is a summary of names and who filled these positions, under what circumstances, and how we got there. If you recall, the nation of Israel has been in the promised land for about 500 years since Moses led them out of Egypt in the bondage. They've had the hundreds of years with the judges. David, becoming king, he brought the central place of worship, he brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And then eventually, as we saw last week, they they got the tabernacle there as well. Everything was centralized in Jerusalem. And everything is basically the table set for Solomon to rise up in his time, build this amazing temple. It's going to take him a decade to do it. Build the amazing temple of God that would survive for centuries and build it and do it. And what David is doing in the latter part of his life is God had told him, you cannot build the temple because you're a man of war and a man of blood. And it's it's just not for you. David had a heart for the Lord, and he saw much conflict in his lifetime, but he was a man of blood. Solomon was incredibly wise and organized, administratively brilliant, beyond measure, beyond most human beings would ever be. He was a man of peace, a time of peace, but he didn't quite have a heart for the Lord the same way his dad did. That's kind of the contrast between those two kings and the father-son in their relationship. But here, as David comes to the conclusion of his life, Though he couldn't build a temple, he got the wealth together of his own wealth that he gave for the temple. He had wealth he acquired from conquering other enemies that was set aside for the temple. He drew up plans for the temple, and he encouraged Solomon to do that work of building the temple. And in these couple of chapters, 23, 24, 25, he organized all these Levites who were that one tribe of the 12 that had the the ministry of the priesthood to the Lord on behalf of all the other people. And he organized them in a very efficient way to do the ministry, really the twofold ministry that would lay before them once they were working in the temple. They would do the animal sacrifices to make intercession for the people, the burnt offering, the trespass offering, the sin offering, the grain offering, the heave offering, the wave offering, the various offerings, and of course, Passover lamb as well. They would do all of that. And there's a lot of people, and it's a 
It's a full-time job. It's basically a 24-7 job. People never stop sinning, and people never stop needing an atonement for their sins. And so David is organizing tens of thousands of Levites for the work of the ministry to provide atonement for their sins under that covenant as God had prescribed in his word. But at the same time, David is also organizing thousands of, well, hundreds of men, thousands of men to lead praise and worship for the Lord at the same time. And what he did is he was operating from the lunar calendar of 48 weeks. And he organized the Levites who helped the priest, and there's a distinction. Because in the tribe of Levi, there's the Kohathites, the Marites, and the Gershonites. So Levi's the head, three sons. And it's only the Kohathites who could do the priestly work. So these other Levites, they had to do additional work, but they couldn't do the animal sacrifices, but they could support the efforts of doing the animal sacrifices. And even amongst the Kohites, there was four subdivisions of the line of Aaron that only the high priest could do the work of Yom Kippur and those things. So in this system, David, before he steps into eternity, he sets up this brilliant plan of groups of 24 a cycle of 24 with the priesthood to do the animal sacrifices with the Levites, and a cycle of praise and worship to the Lord of 24. That's how we ended the other night, verse by verse. And so two groups of 24 running parallel for the obligations of sacrifices for sins and failures of the people, and another group of 24 sequences of 24 to sing praises to the Lord and prophesy to the Lord. He put those two together to ensure that as he moved on into glory, that the people of God would be set to go, good to go, and that once that temple was built, it would have efficiency of function as opposed to something that's built and it's not working the way it's meant to be built. And that's our context tonight. With what, And it makes you appreciate David as administrator because we often think of him as the worshiper and Solomon as administrator. But you really realize when we were reading through this Tuesday night, man, David was sharp, man. He had great administration, and Solomon just t- took it to another level. But the verse that stood out on Tuesday stands out again tonight. This very first verse, when David was old and full of days. And we get some insights to how he, what kind of person he is as he's old and full of days. And there's stuff here that we can think about and take to heart. When we think about being old and full of days, this is something that's really come to my mind on this topic, just the topic itself, before we get some points from the text is as I take care of my elderly dad, who's 93, and I'm regularly, you know, seeing assisted living, uh, independent living, and, and memory care. You know, you got to go through these doors and push the buttons to go to memory care. You can't just walk in there, because if you don't know, that's kind of how it works. And I'm, I'm surrounded by caregivers who take care of my dad and other people, and I know, I know them, and we have great relationships. I've really realized something in these last seven years of essentially running my dad's estate for him and taking care of him in these circumstances. I realize that everything we live for becomes who we are when we're old and full of days. I realize that everything you've sown is exactly what you're going to reap. And if you don't like what you're reaping today, you better change what you're sowing tomorrow because you're only going to reap more of it in your future. See, we can't change a lot of things on planet Earth, but we can change the woman and the man in the mirror. And really, we need to see ourselves watching and ready for when we're going to stand before the Lord, the day of the Lord. It's the greatest reality hanging over every one of us. And as you see, when you get near the end of the journey, all what you see is everything a person has sown, their worldview, their attitudes, uh, 
if they never if they never grew up, you know, if it's all about them, and you know, usually drug addicts don't live to be old, and most alcoholics don't make it too far down the road. Although some people's livers just keep on giving. But as a whole, you know, all the people did crystal meth and hard drugs. They don't usually clear fifty, all right, or in the heart attack zone for men. So really what you have, you know, when guys clear 60, they're headed toward the 80s. And then it's really what you see, men in their 80s, what they're made of. What I've learned is the end of the journey is the full reflection in the mirror for every individual. And God's perfect universe, it is number one law of the universe, even greater than gravity, is as a man sows, shall shall he reap. As a woman sows, shall shall she reap. And everything we sow from kindergarten right to Memory care will be revealed in time, space, and matter. And that is a sobering thought and a thought of urgency for all of us to think about who we are today and who do we want to be tomorrow and who do we want to be five years from now and who do we want to be. See, when people get fuzzy, and they do, people do get fuzzy as they get older. Sooner or later, you'll live long enough where you are very fuzzy if you don't step into eternity. You just get more fuzzy. That's, at best, it's fuzzy. And when you're fuzzy, all that you sowed is all that you're reaping. All that you put in you is what's coming out of you. All that went in here is what's coming out of here. And if it's fragmented and there's dementia, Alzheimer's, and there's only portions of what was there, hey, if it was all good, it's all good. If it was all bad, nothing's good. And that's a very sobering thought. And I go twice a week to your facility and I see the future for me if I live long enough. What we sow, we reap. And when we're old and full of days, when we look in the mirror and we look at our life, it will reflect exactly, not sort of, it will reflect exactly everything we did in our life. And that's the preview of eternity because when we step in eternity, that's where we really get the sowing and the reaping of everything we did. We get it in time, space, and matter on the back end, but we get it when we flip dimensions and we're in eternity. And all that you sowed for in time is all that you are in eternity. Faith, optimism, confidence in the Lord, love, forgiveness, compassion, that's what you're going to have in eternity. But if you had unbelief, negativity, bitterness, wrath, and malice, that's what you get in eternity. And you'll get it by yourself. Because none of those things are in the kingdom. The kingdom is love, joy, hope, peace, faith, the praise of the Lord. So here's David, the very end of his life. And we see who the man really is. He stepped into eternity at the age of 70. He was 70. Now, you can be really sharp at 70. You can be really sharp at 80. David had 70 years. Moses said 400 years before, the days of man are 70 years, or by measure of strength, 80. David literally got the exact number from Psalm 91 that Moses spoke. 70 years. 70 years is what he got. And in this final year of his life, when he was old and full of age, in these first few verses, these five verses, there's three things that, really jump out to me that also are supported in the additional text that came in 24 and 25, the the rest of chapter 23 and 24, 25. It says in his very first verse that he made his son Solomon king over Israel. He made Solomon his son king over Israel. You could miss the significance of that 
unless you've watched elderly people not be willing to let anything go in their life. Some people can never let go. They can't let go of their money, their wealth, their identity, their gripes, their complaints, their murmurings. They just can't let go. They can't do it when they're 30. They can't do it when they're 50. They can't do it when they're 70. Letting go of what God says to let go is a learned skill in the human experience. Now, there's TV shows about hoarders. What would you say is the number one factor of hoarders? They can't let go of things. They can't let go of anything. Debbie Bryson, our good friend down there at Calvary Vista, extremely successful realtor, my mom's best friend back in the 80s and 90s and even to her death, my mom's passing three years ago. Debbie Bryson shared with me just a few years ago how often... When someone steps into eternity with uh, of elderly age, how many homes, just everything's left behind. They never gave it away. They never let it go. And literally, flippers come in, and they pull up that 30 by 10, you know, that 30-foot-long tent yeah, dumpster, and everything goes in it. They never let go of it, and then it just goes to the landfill. They couldn't give it to, they couldn't let it go to their spouse or ex-spouse. Hey, what a great thing to give your ex-spouse, a great gift from something in eternity. That'll look good before the throne of God, by the way. They couldn't give it to the estranged children because they're going to have the final say against estranged children. They couldn't give it to a, to a charity group because they didn't have any charity groups. You see? Wow. Letting go is something that you can learn through life. You let go of a position. You let go of a house. When we moved from our house that we lived in for 10 years in Costa Mesa, we lived there from 2000 to 2010. Our kids essentially grew up in that house while going to school at Calvary Chapel Schools. Man, it seemed like it was easy enough to move from that house. It was during that recession, 2009, you know, 2010. I'll tell you what, the last two days in that house, we all cried. We got a family photo right when we're about to leave, all of us. And everyone eyes are just swollen because we're letting go of 10 years of growing up in that house. But we moved on to new things. You know, we moved on to a new chapter living in Huntington Beach for the last 13 years and what God's had. But that's hard. Letting go of a position, you know, when you retire from positions often like teachers, they honor you and they give you something, or you're a corporate and they give you know you take your box, you leave your cubicle, whatever, and that's it. They give you, hey, employee of the year for 2013, and thank you for your service. It can be really hard to let go, but here's the key to letting go. I find in my life, I've had to let go of a lot of things. The key to letting go is looking ahead. See, if David giving up the kingdom of Israel to his son was a regression, it'd be hard to let go. In other words, it was like, my, think about this, David's entire identity was being the king of Israel. He's the king. He's got the power. He's got the military. He's got the trophy room from all the victories, the crowns he has. He literally had the crowns of kings he conquered. All, it was like a, te- like, he, it's like the captain's chair in Star Trek. I know that's a terrible analogy, but like, he was that guy. He has the chair. He's in charge of it, the enterprise. He's the guy. It's his total identity. The finances, the position, the power, and he earned it by defeating Goliath, being persecuted by his father-in-law, all that he went through. His sins 
known to the entire nation with Bathsheba and the census. And there he is on the king's throne at the age of 70. And he had to let go. You know, the longer you hold on to something that God's saying let go, the less likely you will let it go. Whether it's a possession, a memory, bitterness, anything, wealth, it just, the longer you hold on to it, the more likely it'll hold on to you. And instead of you being the master of that choice, that choice becomes master of you. David, there's a beauty. He is, has so much power. He's the CEO of this kingdom. And he, no one, to his last day, even if he's got dementia, no one's going to tell David he can't do what he wants to do. He earned that equity with the nation of Israel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, some people hang on too long at a job, and they're the, they're the you know, they're the boss, and they're not as efficient anymore. But no one will remove them because, you know, they, they, they earned this goodwill by how much they accomplished in their prime. And no one wants to tell them, like, hey, you probably, can you let go? But we're talking about the kingdom of God here and a man of God. And we know in 1 Kings the story behind it. Because he was just kind of fuzzy, and then they came to him and said, hey, Nathan the prophet's like, oh, David, it's a bad scene here. Adonis says he's the king, and it's going to be bad news for Bathsheba. Well, he went to Bathsheba first, Nathan did, and it, 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 all these things happened. But then David was prompted, you have to resolve this, or there's going to be civil war, there's going to be unrest, there's lack of clarity, and to his credit, he did. He said immediately, do this, do this, do that, and he kind of snapped out of his little fuzzy zone. And they recognized Solomon as king. The people rejoiced. It was a huge feast. And it settled that uncertainty. David letting go in that last year of his life and giving the kingdom to his son showed a lot about what kind of man he was because I've seen a lot of men that will never let go till their last breath. They die holding on to whatever it is they're holding on to. And women. So worship generation body of Christ this story, this first point, that he let go of such a powerful position before it was going to, before he stepped into eternity, he let go of this power and everything he built up and just really prepared himself for what lied ahead. See, with the Lord, it's always forward, onward, and upward, right? So when you're letting go of something, that means you're now, equi- you're now letting someone else, God put someone else there in that place. You're letting God seal that memory. You're letting God do something here. But when you hold on to things that God says let go of, you're, you're hindering, usually in the case of business and things like that, you're hindering the, the person that's meant to come in and replace that with the Lord. Or it's just an anchor keeping you from the glory toward the Lord. The best way to let go is to look up. The best way to let go of the past is to look up to the future of glory with the Lord. And David had such a heart for the Lord, and he was heavenly-minded and kingdom-minded, and he let go. Now, you're, maybe the younger people here tonight are saying, well, you know, I haven't got anything to let go. Well, just, you'd be surprised. It's in our nature to own something and to hold something, even if it's hardly anything. My sister, who was homeless for six years, used to tell me, you would not believe how hard homeless people fight each other for where they can even sleep sometimes. This is my space on Figueroa Street. This is my space behind the dollar store in Vista and I'll fight you right now in a full slugfest over my space next to the Dempsey dumpster. We all gather things 
And we all want to hold on to things. And in life, in the journey of faith with the Lord is, keep a loose handle on it. Keep, keep, make sure it's the Lord's. And if he wants to build it up, build it up. If he says, let it go, let it go. I'm grateful in my life that I've learned in the process of life and ministry to let go. You know, you study certain famous actors or famous sports figures, and you realize you can see examples of people who are extremely good at letting things go. Joe Gibbs, the great NFL football coach, that wasn't, he loved the Lord. He won those Super Bowls with the Washington Redskins. He wanted to, he just was like, hey, I'm done. This is a closed door with the Lord. If you read his biography, and I did, like the Lord just showed him, you're done with football. And the prime of his life as an NFL coach, the zenith of being a coach. And he let it go, and he had one car, and he started Joe Gibbs Racing. And the rest is NASCAR history. He would have missed this incredible story of what God did with him with his hundreds of employees there in Charlotte, because I visited the place when I was working with the U.S. Olympic Committee. And I was like, it was unbelievable. All that, all that was there with Joe Gibbs Racing and the ministry he had with all those people, he would have missed it had he not let go of his NFL identity. How about Magic Johnson? He's a great NBA basketball player. He gets AIDS, and that's his identity. We all remember that in the early 90s when Magic had AIDS. It was like, wow, it was just unbelievable to us. He came back from that, played some great uh, NBA basketball. But what did he do after that? That wasn't his identity. He moved on from the NBA. He, he, he rebuilt Los Angeles that was destroyed in the riots in the early 90s. He rebuilt all that, the business plan, and became extremely successful with building inner city areas and creating commerce and industry for uh, lower income areas. And look at magic now. He just, he's just, he's still magic because he's going onward. So the key body of Christ, when God says, let go, let go, because when we get to etern- when we get to the end of the journey, we're going to have to let go of what? Our life. You want to be so free from the things of time, space, and matter that when God says, let it all go, you just say, yes. And amen. And you go to glory. That's how Lorraine Llewellyn went two weeks ago. And I'm looking forward to doing her memorial. I can hear her laugh. I can hear her laugh. Paul said this in Philippians. When he talked about his credentials in life, he said, you know, I count these things as rubbish that I can attain to everything Christ has for me and know the fellowship of of the resurrection with him. And that's really the right attitude to have, just... When God says let it go, we got to let it go. Just let it go. Let it go. Look upward and keep moving forward. So then when you get to the end of your journey and you got to let it all go, it's an easy thing to do. If you're so free to be in like memory care and not have anything own you except the Lord. You'd be that really sweet lady at the table. You'd be the really sweet man at the table waiting for lunch at 11.15. Second thing we see about David here in his old and full of days, it says that uh, he gathered together all the leaders. Look at uh, verse 2 there. He gathered together all the leaders. Man, he's... So he gathered all the leaders together of Israel with the priests and the Levites. So he let go of what he had to let go of. And then... So if you look at, if you look at him letting go, we would say that was David with himself. He was securing himself, his self-identity, and he just let it go. Like, I'm okay, I'm good. I'm going to let it go. But here's others. With others, he gathered them together, all the leaders... We see in, these next, in this chapter and the next two chapters how he gathered all these people together with the leaders. They cast lots for who served which of the 24 weeks and which team you're part of. 
We're told when he picked the worship leaders in chapter 25, he brought together the captains of the army. He brought in the military to help him choose the worship leaders that would prophesy for the Lord. So stay with me. In this last year of his life, he's surrounded by lots of people. People who respect him. People that he respects. He's surrounded by some of the mighty men. Men who came to him when they're in debt, in distress, and discontent at the cave of Abdullam. And they became great mighty men and leaders in a great nation. Pretty much at its zenith right here when David's 70. His son Solomon, in writing Proverbs, would say, to have friends, one must be friendly. And if there's anything Solomon could have learned from watching his dad in the palace, is how, what great relationships he had with people. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.